Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We, of course, are going and walking through Psalm 51 with the idea that there is a way back to God. And we understand the context of it that that David has sinned with Bathsheba and he was pointed out by the man of God. And now David is getting right with God. Remember, we just spoke about this in the morning. <laughs> In our regular service just recently, David sinned with Bathsheba and talked more about the details of it. And we're going along with our main services, speaking about the life and ministry of David. But we can see that David is getting right. And I want you to remember the context that when this has happened, that David had been sitting in sin, not right with God for nine months. The child was born before the prophet came. And pointed his bony finger at him and said, Thou art the man. For nine months, expectantly, nine months, David has been miserable. You understand, you can sit somewhere and have a smile on your face and be miserable. You could go ahead and do your job like you're supposed to and be miserable. You could go through all the token things. You could go through the ceremonies, the rituals, and be miserable in the inside. That's where David was at. And we could see that reflected in his prayer. Remember Psalm 51 isn't just a cute song. This is David's prayer to God to get right with him. And so if you don't mind, we're going to read the entire Psalm, Psalm 51, and then we'll go back and highlight the verse that we'll be teaching on today. But Psalm 51, if you don't mind, and in verse number one, Psalm 51 in verse number one, the Bible says this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And have done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom." Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence." And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. 
O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a prayer request that David gives in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and notice with me in verse number 12. Psalm 51 and verse 12, notice this. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do you know not all of God's children have joy. You could be saved. What does that mean to be saved? That you came to the place where you realize that you are a sinner and because of your sin that you've offended a holy righteous God and you deserved hell but Jesus paid the price for you and you came to the place where you personally accepted Jesus as your savior. So someone could be forgiven of their sins and not have joy. But God offers them joy. So why don't they have joy? What are they missing? Those who have known the joy of the Lord know when they have it. But they also know when they don't have it. When you know that you're missing the joy of your salvation. Notice David here is saying, Remove not or restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore it unto me. You know, in the New Testament, we could see that Paul almost had the same prayer request. Hold your finger here and let's look at this New Testament account in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. The book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9. Paul was also having some of the same prayer requests, not necessarily to restore the joy of my salvation, but he was also understanding that there was something here. He was afraid of being what he said as a castaway. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And notice with me in verse number 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And starting at verse 24 the Bible says this. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. But one receiveth a prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainty. So fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He had the same concern here that he says, <coughs> please, I don't want to, I want to always be useful in your thing. I don't want to be cast away. The idea of casting away is to be thrown aside. It carries the idea of being placed up on the shelf. You know, when you place something up in your attic, it's because you're not going to use it for a while. 
Paul says, I want to always be usable. I, I keep my body in subjection. I keep my body temperate. There are things that I can do, but I choose not to do in order to run the race that God has given to me. Because my fear is I never want to be in a position where I'm no longer useful to God. He said, I don't want to be in a place like that. I always want to be useful to God. Well, we can see that Paul's having the same thing here <laughs> that, that um, David is saying. Notice, if you don't mind, going back to Psalm 51, notice what David says here. Cast me not away. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> notice in verse number 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. That's the same idea that, that uh, Paul was saying. Cast me not away from thy presence. This is what Paul was saying I don't want to be away from where God is at. I want to be at the place where I have God's presence. I want to be at the place where I have God's favor upon me. And so because of that, I'm running a race. And because I run the race, there are certain things I choose not to do in order to run the race. I used to, once upon a time ago, used to do uh, long distance running. And in order to do long distance running, there are certain things that you don't do beforehand. For example, the night before, I don't gorge an ice cream. There's just a practicality for it. You know, right before a race, I don't eat all the spaghetti I possibly can. There's just certain things that I choose not to do. There's, <laughs> you ever see runners? They're skinny. Why are they skinny? Because they don't need as much body weight. You have to run with that thing. And so there's certain things that I choose not to eat, certain things that I choose not to do in order to run the race. Now, is eating spaghetti wrong? Absolutely not. But I choose not to do it in order to run the race that is set before me. The same thing is true of the Christian life. And the Christian life, there are some things that are not necessarily sinful to do. But we choose not to do those things in order to be the best servant that we can for the Lord. To be in the place where we're at the best usefulness. Notice in, as David continues on in Psalm 51 and verse 11. Cast me not from thy presence... And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now don't let this trouble you. Here it's talking about still the idea of God's presence. He prayed that the blessing, enabling, and the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us would not be removed. You understand that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have as much as the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get. And it becomes a part of you. The Holy Spirit itself cannot be removed. But there are some times in our life that we are at a place where we're not right with God, where the Holy Spirit does not have control of us. We don't have his leading. We don't have his enabling. We don't have his presence with us. We're almost like our, by ourselves because we've pushed him away. I mean, he's still with us, but he's, he's away from us and we don't have his power. We don't have the freedom. We don't have that enabling. This is what Paul and... <coughs> And David are both saying, I don't want to be cast aside. I want to be someone that's useful. I don't want someone, God says, ah, I can no longer use him. It's broken. It's kind of like a, fair, um, a toy that a kid has that's broken. Maybe like, you know, the old telephone you used to drag with you as a little kid. But it's broken a wheel. But I don't want to throw it away. I've had it since I was a kid. Well, I'm going to put it up on the shelf. It can never be used, but it's there. I'd hate to be up there on the shelf. I'd hate to be cast away. That's what Paul's big fear is. is I always want to be useful to God. David, as he's realizing that things are not right in his life, he says, God, 
cast me not away. I, I want to be useful. I'm trying to come back to you. Please, Lord, I need you again. So with this, if you don't mind, let's dive into this a little bit more. And let's try to understand where does this joy come from? Where do we have this joy? The first thing I'd like to show you here is the occasion for this prayer. The occasion of this prayer. Again, let's go back and figure out and remember what is going on. Then we understand that David has made a horrible trade. He traded the joy of his salvation for the sin for a season. That David had time on his hands, and we explained uh, just the other day this in more detail, but David was idle. Everyone else is off to war. Instead of him being out with him, he stayed home. Then he woke up from his bed one night, stretched out, walked out, and <laughs> looked at all of Jerusalem. His palace was higher than everyone else. We also explained that back in the ancient world that a lot of people would have bathtubs on the top of their houses. And because of the desert sun, they would fill it up with water. And the desert sun would heat the water. And then by the time um, evening came, the water was hot enough and warm enough to be able to take a relaxing bath. Most people had like a slight um, fence around their their house so that way there would be a little bit of privacy but David instead of having the privacy had the luxury of looking all throughout the kingdom he looked down and saw Bathsheba and remember it's not necessarily the first glance that is sin but the second glance is the lingering glance if he was right he should have saw and turned his head went away did something else but he stayed and looked because of that Sin began to be conceived. Hold your finger here if you don't mind. And let's see the process of this in the book of James chapter number 1. The book of James chapter number 1. Again, we took time to explain this the other day. James in chapter number 1. <coughs> James in chapter number 1. And we could see in verse number 14. James in chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This idea of lust does carry the idea of inner desires, things that you think about. So it starts away that how temptation works is it starts with a thought. And you think that thought. And you think that thought. Verse 15. And when lust hath conceived or give birth, then it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So here's the process of how it works. It starts with a thought. Before you act on anything, you start with a thought. And you think about that thought. And you think about that thought. And you think about that thought until you finally act on that thought. The act of that thought, it now becomes sin. And that sin, the consequences will be death. For the wages of sin is death. The consequences of it. You see, David made a decision. And we walked through that passage the other day. And we told people to pay attention to how many times that word sent is used in that passage. First uh, Samuel chapter number uh, 12 or 11. <laughs> one of those. 
yeah, chapter 11. It uses the word sent over and over and over. And we show, uh, showed you that David was in control of his actions. David sent for Bathsheba. David sent for a servant to inquire Bathsheba. David sent for Joab. David sent Uriah. David sent Uriah. You could see that word sent the whole time. David was in control of his actions, influenced by his mind. It wasn't an accidental sin. He had time to think about it, make a decision, and act on it. That is exactly how this works. Temptation comes with a desire, a thought. And you think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it until you finally come to the place where you act on that thought. Can you see where the battleground is? The battleground's in the mind. By the time it's already uh, come to the place where you're ready to act on it, it's already too late. Once people have already thought about it that much, the decision is not too far behind. That's why it's the thought life that we have to guard. It's that thought life. And so here's what David traded. David had the joy of God's salvation. He's been writing psalms. He's been seeing answers to prayer. He's been having a walk with God. But then one day he saw something and it replaced his thought life. Instead of thinking about the Lord, he's thinking about Bathsheba. And he thinks about it. And he thinks about it. He even asks questions. God puts up a barrier. A servant says, why are you asking about her? And remember that David knew about Bathsheba. Bathsheba's father was one of David's mighty men. Bathsheba's grandfather was one of David's counselors. He knew who Bathsheba was. And the servants, why are you asking about her? And that question didn't stop David. He jumped over that barrier to get to it. Why? Because he had that thought. He was thinking about it. And now that he's decided to do it, no obstacle was going to get in his way. And he jumped over the obstacles to get to that sin. Why? Because he's already been thinking about it so much. Now he's going to be acting on it. And then he had a, season, a sin for a season for a season. Ah, he sinned for a season. It was a one-night stand. It wasn't a lingering affair. It was a one-night stand. He figured, I'd have it done and over with. It's done. But God is already working on him. But just when he thought he was going to get away with it, a servant comes in with a message from Bathsheba that said, I'm expecting. That one night that he thought he got away with is now ready to blow open. You imagine how miserable he is? Think about him taking that letter. And looking at it, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, he's not going to say, God, what should I do? He's already in trouble now. What am I going to do this? Everyone's going to find out. Uriah has been on the battlefield. He hasn't been home. Everyone's going to know that something's up. And she's going to tell. And I'm going to be in trouble. Now the cover-up begins. He sins uh, for Uriah brings him back from the battlefield and he tries to cover it up. I know I got a plan. Let's bring Uriah home. And he told Uriah, here, you got, you've been doing good on the battlefield. Take some vacation time. Go spend some time with your wife. And he sent her, sent them a, a present of meat. He sent him a full meal. He sent him a red lobster gift card, something. Go have a romantic dinner with your wife. Go have a good time. And Uriah wouldn't go home. Could you imagine when he got the letter or the servant says, hey, Uriah's still here. What do you mean Uriah's still here? 
Everything I'm working to try to fix this is not working. Imagine how miserable he is. This cover-up's not working. He talks to Uriah. Why aren't you going home? And Uriah shows loyalty and faithfulness and says, how can I go home and relax when everyone else is on the battlefield? Everyone else is out to war. How can I relax during this time? I'm not going to abandon my post. So David gets him drunk. David, the sweetest psalmist of Israel, takes a man and purposely gets him drunk. With the idea that he's going to be drunk and he's going to stagger home. And he still wouldn't go home. Do you think he has the joy of his salvation now? He's miserable. Miserable. And so he sends Uriah to the battlefield. Before he does, David writes a letter to Joab, the general, and says, I want you to put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. And in the midst of the battle, I want you to withdraw all reinforcements. Basically, he killed Uriah and everyone else who's with Uriah. He wrote this and he trusts Uriah so much that he seals it, gives it to Uriah, and Uriah carries his own death sentence to Joab because Uriah was that trusted. There's nothing about that that makes anyone feel good. So Uriah dies. David waits an appropriate amount of time and then marries Bathsheba. And he thinks, all right, finally we got things sorted. Even though you could probably imagine servants counting up in their head, you know, when the baby's getting ready to be due. But this whole time, David's acting like king. David's going through the motions, but he's miserable inside. Miserable. Till finally the preacher comes and puts his bony finger in his face and says, Thou art the man. God wasn't going to allow him to get away with sin. He had nine months. David could have gotten right. But he refused to get right. Isn't that something about sin? That once we're in the midst of sin, we could get right, but we just choose not to get right. Not until it's pointed out. We think that we could try to get away with it. And all that's happening is that we're becoming more and more miserable. David has everything he wanted. He wanted Bathsheba. He's got a child that's now born. He's the king. He has everything you could want. Wealth. But he's miserable. Miserable. Nothing's working out. You understand it was all about decisions that he made that day. He made a decision. If you don't mind, let me show you someone else who made a decision. Then we'll uh, go to the second part of this. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. Remember, I was pointing out to you the word sent, dealing with the idea of David. Hebrews chapter number 11, if you don't mind. Hebrews chapter 11. And with that word sent, sent is an action verb. It is something that shows decision. David made a decision to send to inquire for Bathsheba. David made a decision to send for Bathsheba. David made a decision to go send for Uriah. David made a decision to send Uriah. David made a decision to send Uriah a second time. This one back to the battlefield. David used that, you see that word sent. And it has the idea that there was a decision made. Well I want you to look in the book of Hebrews. As it talks about Moses. And I want you to notice the word uh, 
the word, the action verbs that is used to show that Moses is making a choice. Hebrews chapter number 11. I notice with me in verse number uh, 24 for context. <laughs> so Matthew chapter number, uh, uh, Hebrews 11 Verse number 24, Hebrews eleven twenty-four. 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused. Notice that word refused. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Notice 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people, people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse number 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. For By faith, verse 27, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Notice these action verbs, four of them in four verses. Verse number 25, he refused. Verse number 25, he chose. Verse number 26, he esteemed. Verse number 27, he forsook. Those are purposeful, intentional choices that Moses made to choose Christ. And remember, he was choosing Christ. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ rather than the, greater than the riches of the treasure of Egypt. He said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have wealth untold. You understand, he made a choice. So we have two people here who made a choice. Which one had the joy of his salvation? Moses did. Because of the choices he made to follow after Christ. To follow after God. David had the joy of his salvation. But he lost it because he chose sin for a season. And the consequences of that has made him miserable. So that's the occasion of the writing. If you don't mind, let's go back. And understand that what is the secret of joy? What is the secret of joy? Obedience is the secret to joy. When David lost his joy, it was because he disobeyed God. To get his joy back again, he had to obey God. Do you know that the absence of physical pain is not what we're talking about? The, pre <laughs> it's not, the secret to joy is not when everything is going hunky-dory. The secret to the joy of God's salvation is the presence of God. The presence of God. So when we're talking about joy, we're not talking about a silly smile that's on your face. The idea of joy is not to be a glory hallelujah where every step you take, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a peace that is within. A settlement. Where does that peace come from? It's not from the circumstances. It's from the presence of God. And you can have the presence of God no matter what the circumstances are. You can have the presence of God. What is the presence of God? Where do we get it from? Well, the Bible gives that answer. Notice with me in the gospel record of John chapter 15. The gospel record of John chapter 15. What is the secret of this joy? John chapter 15, if you don't mind. John chapter 15. And let's for context's sake, just get a good running start. Notice in verse 1. John chapter 15 and verse number 1. 
John 15 and verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he hath taken away. And every branch that beareth fruit, uh, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And many and men gather him and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Why? That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Here we could see very clearly Jesus says the secret of God's presence is abiding in him. How do we have the joy of God's salvation? Well, the Bible clearly says, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. And he says, these things have I written unto you. What is the secret of the presence of God? What is the secret of the joy of God's salvation? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience to God is the only way to have the joy of the Lord. Right? The Bible speaks about that. We have a hymn that says that. <coughs> to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Where do we get the joy of our salvation? Being submitted to God. Remember with that idea that being submitted to God is not just simply doing God's will. It's delighting in God's will. Enjoying what God has given you to do. That God has given us his will. He's given us different things. He gives it through biblical authority. He gives it through the Bible. He gives us different things. And when we rebel against those things, we lose the joy of our salvation. And it's not just doing it. It's delighting in it. Delighting in what God has given you to do. You can have the joy, the peace of God that passeth all understanding. A peace of God that people look at you and says, look at all the things going on in your life. How can you have such peace during this time? It's the peace that passeth all understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense to everyone else. It comes by the presence of God. And that presence of God comes with abiding in Christ. How do we abide in Christ? Obedience to him. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. That's the simplicity of it. Are you obedient? Are you obedient? We know that there's, <coughs> there's something to this that people don't have. If people don't have the joy of salvation, we could just point out immediately there's something uh, wrong somewhere. 
I've dealt with many Christians over the years. I've got joy! And they say it just like that. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Amen. I'm happy! Okay, good. Well, there's something wrong, right? Something's wrong. There's a peace of God that passes all understanding. And it only comes when we're right with God. When we are obedient to God. When we're delighting in God's will. If someone's not delighting in God's will, then they're not happy with the Lord. If they're not happy with the Lord, they can't have the peace that passes all understanding. If someone's having a problem with something, well, I know the pastor told me to read my Bible, but let me tell you, I don't think I have to. Well, there's something to it. There's something about obedience to Christ. Disobedience to God is the killer of joy. That's what destroys the joy, the peace that passeth all understanding. So if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, it comes with the presence of God. It comes when we're right with Him. How do we know we're right with Him? When we're not just doing God's will, we're delighting in God's will. God knows what He's doing. Can you trust in Him? David is coming to the place where he's miserable. And he says, God, I want to get right with you. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That's his prayer request. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, dear Lord. He says, God, I want to be usable by you again. I've been miserable these nine months. It's not been fun at all to be a Christian. He's been wrong with God for not. That's a long time not to be right with God. Well, the good news is he could get right any time he wants. Same with you. You just have to go to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to get right. Restore unto me the joy. I want that peace that you talked about. I want that peace that doesn't make sense. I want that peace that no matter what the circumstances are, I can have that joy. It comes for obedience to God. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.